0: So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. And the one who gathered little did not have too little.
1: Thank you so much. We're going to dive in with some prayer. I invite you guys to pray with me now. Heavenly Father, Lord, you're a good God. Lord, you're a God who wants to be in control of all of our lives. Lord, and as we continue through this series, Operation Refresh, looking at the different aspects of who we are and how we operate, Lord, I pray pray for your boldness, I pray for your uh, wisdom, I pray for your discernment as we look at finances today. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Again, guys, it's good to be with you. We are in a series called Operation Refresh. And we've been looking at different areas of our lives that from time to time need to be refreshed and so we've talked about our emotions and we've talked about our mind next week we're going to be talking about our community and a couple weeks we're going to be talking about sabbath Uh, and for me this series has been pretty personal because as i'm trying to preach on these different topics as i'm trying to do these different things um, i'm uh, having to emotionally process them in my own life as well Uh, but this this week is the one I least want to talk about. Just completely, honestly, I don't like talking about money as a pastor. And the reason I don't like talking about money is because so many other pastors have done it poorly. As soon as I open up that door, I realize all the baggage that you have ever had, that I have ever had, when it comes to our money and God comes with it, all right? This is a true story. It makes me laugh. So Mick's here today. Uh, Mick showed up at the church one week before I did. I think he was here one or two weeks before I showed up in person, and we went out and we grabbed coffee, and we were talking about his previous church experience and some of the ministry that he was doing, uh, and he's like, yeah, you know, I left my church. Uh, there was kind of like a, a straw that broke the camel's back, and I'm like, oh, what was that? He's like, my pastor showed up in a money suit. Literally a suit that had dollar bills on it, right? To talk about money. It's like, I don't think this is right, right? Like, it's just, you're like, oh, And I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh gosh, this is, why? 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 Right? And so I don't like having to talk about it. And yet, that, there is a way to engage it. And as a pastor, and as someone who is a follower of Jesus and who has read the word, what you realize is Jesus does engage the topic of money. And it's something that is personal to all of us. As Americans, it's something all of us, myself as pastor included, struggles with and wrestles with and tries to figure out how we do this. And just because there's a tension there doesn't mean that we're not supposed to talk about it. So we're going to talk about it today, but first I want to go through and quickly take out the garbage, so to speak. And we're going to talk about three big lies that you may have heard about finances that I am just going to dispel, demythify, and then we're going to move on. All right? So the first one uh, is this. comes from fear. Give to the church or we don't go to heaven. All right? Uh, This actually is how Lutheranism started. This is how the Protestant Reformation started. There was a guy named Tetzel. He was a Catholic, uh, and he wanted to raise money for a church. And so he came up with a rather novel way to do it, something called indulgences. And how indulgences would, quote-unquote, work, how it was supposed to happen was, it was like, hey, you know, you're not a very good person. And people were like, yeah, I, I struggle with some stuff. It's like, I've got a solution for you. Every time the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory sings. This idea that you could pay your way out of hell, or if you were confident in your own self, you could pay for relatives. And so if you gave enough money, you could get them out of purgatory. You could get them out of hell. You could save them. And let me tell you, it was a great way to raise money. Unfortunately, it wasn't biblical. And Luther, who really wanted to get to heaven, He spent his entire Catholic ministry, his entire priestly ministry, working his way up to heaven, but he never felt he had achieved it. And so he started in the Psalms, and he started reading through Romans and Ephesians, and what he found was, we don't have to build a stairway to heaven, heaven had already come down in Jesus. And he read verses like this from Ephesians, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works. So no one can boast. Not by about how much money you put in the offering. Not about how good you are with your finances. It's not about us reaching up to heaven. It was about heaven reaching down to us. And it was a gift. That's what that word grace means. A gift of God. Unearned. Free. Through Christ. All right, so that's the first big one. is based off of fear. The second one is based off of greed. And if we give to the church, God promises to bless us financially, right? So this works out, hey, if you just believe in God enough. If you're just willing to give that offering, back your truck up to God and see if he doesn't back his up to yours, right? And you are going to have everything you want, that house, that car, that lifestyle. This is called health and wealth theology, this idea that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, And don't get me wrong, God isn't against healthy, he isn't against the wealthy, he isn't against the wise. But it's completely and totally disconnected from the New Testament and the lives of the early church and the apostles. Because most of them died, were executed, not healthy and wealthy, but persecuted. Jesus tells this to his disciples When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases, and then he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. This is some good stuff, right? This is the mission of the church. And he sends them out, and he says, take nothing on your journey. No bag, no staff, no money, no extra shirt. It's not about getting rich, y'all. There isn't a cosmic vending machine where if you punch the right numbers, God promises to bless you financially. That is not what it is about. Last but not least, and this one has a little bit of a nuance to it, but it is still one of the big ones. God expects you to give 10% of your income to the church. This is based off of the tithe in the Old Testament. And the tithe was a way in a theocracy where the people literally all lived in one country together would essentially pay taxes back to the theocracy, back to the church. And you would give 10% of what you made, the first fruits of your wheat or of your cattle or of your business back to what God was doing through uh, the the church, the temple. Here's the problem with this. 10% isn't bad. And it is a biblical number, and it is a way to look at our finances. But in the New Testament, if it was the way to look at the, uh, our finances, you would think it would be mentioned more. How many times, how many of you guys think it's mentioned five times in the New Testament? How many of you guys think it's mentioned three times in the New Testament? Once. One time, Jesus references the tithe, and it's to yell at pastors. One time, that's it. We're going to read it right now. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, but you have neglected the more important matters of law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He didn't say don't give. But the one time Jesus or his followers referenced the tithe, It's to yell at pastors. It's to say, you hypocrites. Yeah, you're doing this, but you're neglecting the things of God. All right, right, so if we're not going to go off of fear, and we're not going to go off of guilt, and we're not going to go off of greed, how are we supposed to look at money? Let's dive into what Scripture actually talks about. And the first is understanding the difference between worldly scarcity and kingdom abundance. I was talking to Skip earlier this week, and economics literally is defined by the allocation of scarce resources, right? And in this world, there are limited resources. That is a true fact, right? There's only so much food, there's only so much water. And so when you look at it through a worldly eyes, realizing that there are limited financial resources is true. And yet the promise of the gospel is that God does not look at resources through worldly eyes. Jesus does not look at world resources through limited, scarce eyes, but he sees kingdom abundance. And one of my favorite illustrations of this is one of the times where he is feeding the crowds that come to visit him. And there are literally thousands upon thousands and thousands of people who have all gathered to hear the good news, to hear what God was doing. And he sees all of them and he says this to one of his disciples, when Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all of these people to eat? So Jesus sees all the folks. He's like, dude, they're hungry. Where are we going to get this bread from? And Philip answered, it would take a half a year's wage to give everyone a single bite. Send him home. Like, we can't do this. Limited resources here. And then they bring to him this child, and I love it, because it's essentially like his kid's lunch, Right? But here's a small boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? Worldly scarcity. We got a couple fish, we got these really tiny loaves of bread, but we have thousands of people to feed. It's not gonna work, Jesus. Worldly scarcity. So what does Jesus do? But Jesus said, have the people sit down. And Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Finishes, and they collect 12, loaves, 12 baskets of bread, five baskets of fish. Worldly scarcity versus kingdom abundance. The second is personal ownership versus kingdom stewardship. Now, this one does get a little bit of a raw nerve because we look at our finances like our finances, my finances. I worked there. I did the overtime. I got the degree. I did the job interview. I've poured my blood, sweat, and tears. And in America, we really like our stuff. I I really like my stuff. And so I can look at it through the lens of, this is mine. But when you look and read through the narrative of Scripture, what we realize is that we don't own anything. In God's eyes, we are stewards. We are stewards who are blessed with gifts and opportunities and finances to be a blessing. It's meant to be a good thing. It's it's the Garden of Eden, right? God places us in the garden to steward, to manage this world, this playground that he made. And then he gives us these gifts that we can be better stewards of it. This is a good thing that we get backwards in our mind. And as long as we are playing from an idea of ownership, I own this, you don't, you're missing how God sees the world And the opportunity God is giving you to be a part of what he is doing here in his kingdom. Things like building playhouses, going on mission trips, teaching kids how to sing or act or write their own stories. This is from Matthew. Again, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, and this is not, by the way, the future. He's not saying one day. In heaven, he's talking about the kingdom of God, right? Uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven, right? So, so the God's reign will be like this. Uh, it will be like a man going on a journey. And he called his servants and he entrusted them with his wealth. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags of gold, and to another one each according to their ability. God gives us blessings, both financially and otherwise, to be stewards. He entrusts us with his assets. And he entrusts us with a purpose. This is the last one. Personal charity versus kingdom investment. Uh, A couple days ago, I got emailed by Wikipedia. And the reason why I got emailed was because five years ago, uh, they were doing one of their fundraising campaigns. And they're like, can you donate 3 to $5 in this like, massive fundraising campaign they do every year? And I'm like, you know what? I like Wikipedia. I can afford $5. And so I gave $5. And now every year, they email me about the same time. Like, hey, you've done this before. We're asking you to do it again. And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. Five bucks. No problem. Right? This is my personal charity. This is something I'm like, eh, it's cool. But, but I don't think about it after that. Right, it's $5. Who cares? Right, my life has not changed at all. And yes, I participated in something good, I hope. But it's my personal charity. It, it's not an investment. And what we see in Scripture is that God is much more interested, uh, interested in us investing in the kingdom. And in investing in what he is up to. And that isn't just to the church, y'all. It's bigger than that. And you guys naturally already do this. You make investments in your kids, right? You want to set them up for success? You make investments in your home? You make investments as we head towards retirement? Right? We make investments in everything, and what God is saying is when we think about our money, how are we not thinking through personal charity, these one-off, as I so feel moved? Guess what? My feelings lie to me a lot, And if I'm really honest, my feelings about money lie to me a ton. But to turn it and to say, no, how am I investing in the kingdom, investing in what God is doing here and now? That's the sweet spot. That's where we get excited That's where we get to participate in the kingdom and what God is doing locally, in and through both the church, but us as individuals as well. And that's why that um, reading continues on. After a long time, the master of those servants returns, and he settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Now I will put you in charge of many things. The kingdom of heaven is like a God who entrusts his mission to his church. And that mission comes in different ways, and those assets come in different uh, medians. And then he says, I want you to participate in this. I want you to put all of yourself into this, to be a part of the kingdom in a different way, to share in your master's happiness is how that parable ends, because God wants us to be a part of what he is open to and what he is doing, and see the beauty and the strength of a world and people restored. And y'all, we, we need a world and people restored right now. And the invitation is we get to be a participant in that. My, my favorite story in scripture about giving is when Jesus went to church. He was at the temple. And it was in a time uh, where people would give, and it would be a big deal. They would set it up, and they would literally parade themselves in front of everyone to be like, look how big of a deal I am. Right? Jesus at the temple. He sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting in the money into the temple treasury, many rich which people threw in large amounts. All right? So all the ballers came in, they drove up on their fancy camel or donkey or whatever else, all right? They're all throwing it in, looking at one another, being like, see how much I put in there? Yeah, yeah, well, you just, you just wait. No, no, I'll, I'll pull out some more, right? But a poor widow came and put two very small coins worth only a few cents. And calling his disciples, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you this the poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. See, they gave out of their wealth. But she, out of their poverty, put in everything, all that she had. You know, when we talk about money, we can look and be like, well, I'm not the real important one. It's the CEO, it's the doctor, it's the lawyer, you know, whatever else. Right? They're going to be the ones who do the biggest kingdom impact. But again, that's looking through worldly scarcity versus kingdom abundance. It's looking at it backwards. Because God, in His blessing, in His love, can take very little and do incredible things. In fact, God will do more with little in 15 seconds than I will do with 15 years with much. And it's looking through that lens, that reality, that promise, that each of us have an invitation. I don't know where you are each at individually with generosity and investing in the kingdom. Some of you may not have it at all. Maybe it's a, well, I'll invest when I get more money. I'll give when I have more money. But talk to any financial advisor, that's not how it works. That's not the invitation God gives. He doesn't say, well, until you can give X amount, don't start. No, the invitation is whatever you have, whatever margin, whatever ability, That there is the invitation to share in your master's happiness. To be a part of that well done, my good and faithful servant. Or maybe sometimes you give, but it's more of that personal charity model. Where it's like, well, yeah, this week I feel pretty good. Here's a check. Here's that $5 donation to Wikipedia. There's an opportunity to move from personal charity to investment. And then for those who are already investing, who are already saying, yes, I believe in this, and I see what God is doing here in other ministries and other missions, to realize that all of us should be taking a pulse every once in a while. what, what, What am I prioritizing? What has changed in my life that allows me to invest more or invest differently? And again, guys, I am not talking just about this congregation. Because believe it or not, This is going to sound scandalous to say. God does things outside of Acts Church Leander. I, as the pastor, am convinced of that. I I hope God is doing things through Acts Church Leander. And and I hope that the investments that our congregation makes are paying a dividend. And I am seeing those dividends. I believe in what I am doing. I believe in what we are doing. But, But it's bigger than just here. The kingdom is bigger than just here. And the invitation is bigger than we typically give it credit for. And it is with that that we talk about our finances. I'm going to invite Tanner up. We're going to have some time to reflect and to pray. Uh, Our kids are going to come back, and then we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. But I invite you to pray with me now. Heavenly Father, um, finances are difficult. Lord in every single person in this room, every single person on this live stream, Lord, we have distorted ideas and feelings and patterns when it comes to our finances. Lord, we think they give us protection. Uh, we make choices that trap us into financial strongholds. Lord, uh, we've bought into lies. Whether it's greed or fear or guilt, Lord, we realize that the patterns that we have took decades and generations to create, and they're not going to be solved overnight. They're not going to be solved with a single message, and yet there is an invitation of grace, of good news. Lord, as you wrote to the church in Corinth, the grace of giving, the gift of giving, to be able to invest in your kingdom as you have called us as your church. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen.
0: And we continue our worship.